All right, so let's do that. Okay, I have hit record, so let's do the goofy bumper promo outtakey thingy whenever you're ready. Okay. This is when you do Hi. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take two. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Laura Noel from StretchIntoSuccess.com. I'm excited to be here. You are listening to Jeff Smith from Room Room Beer. So don't crash. Stay tuned. Nice. Nice job. Wait, I think we should do that again because you kind of got it nailed there. You did too oh, well. So that was too. OK. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Now take three. Three is a charm. There you go. No, that's fine. I'm going to hit stop. I'll be right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Johnny Crowder, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Beer and welcome to the show. How do you like my DJ voice? <laughs> I like I like it only in as much as you can continue doing it for the entire interview. I can't. <laughs> Okay, but thanks, we'll just do it like this, thanks for playing along. So how's it going, man? You're at copenotes.com. Talk a little bit about like what you're most excited about in your business today. Hmm. I'm most excited about learning how to delegate. Bah, like for many years, good idea. it was just me. So I had like no established processes for anything. And I had my hands <laughs> and you're in just everything. doing everything. So now I, you know, we're building out a real full-time team and I have team members say like, respectfully, they'll say, Johnny, do you need to be a part of this conversation? And I'll think, I'll stop and think to myself like, well, I always have been historically, but <laughs> I guess now that you're the account manager, I don't need to do this anymore. And it's kind of, I have all these, it's hard, revelations, like if I can trust you to do this, then I have 30 minutes back in my schedule that I can use to do my job, totally. which is great because I've spent a majority of my career as a CEO and founder doing other people's jobs. So it's right. cool to find out what my job is by process of elimination as I assign tasks to the people I've hired. You know, it's yeah. a really strange process. <clears throat> it's weird, right? I would imagine. <laughs> I but went it's to, also yeah yeah go it, ahead. it feels freeing because one of the things that makes starting a company so hard is that you are the janitor you are the web developer you are the sure. chief financial officer you're doing all these jobs that you're, you're not doing great everything at, right 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 and then as you hire people and you kind of let them run with stuff for the first few months of course they're they might drop some balls or get some things confused but you realize like. I really can trust people with my baby and it's okay. Like they're not going to ruin your whole business because they got a quote wrong or whatever. Like these things happen right. and it's, it's teaching me to not be as controlling like this helicopter boss. Totally. I don't want to be right. It's a learning process for sure. Just learning how to let go. Yeah. I would, I would have to say like I went through that when I was in the military because like 
<clears throat> I would say one of the best things the military does um, that people probably that worked in the military have no clue about is like from day one, they're teaching you, you are a leader. Everybody's a leader and everybody's a follower. And when did play which role, right? I think yeah. like most civilians don't have this level of indoctrination into you are a leader, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And it's amazing. <clears throat> but so like you're listening to that, right? Like all the way up until you get to that day where they actually make you a no kidding leader. And they go, yeah. they go, Jeff, you're ready, right? Somebody that you know and respect comes up to you and says, I want you to take over this shop. And now you're in charge. Wow. Get at it, rascal, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you have like no previous <laughs> mental preparation. Not at all. No, well, yeah. actually, you do. You don't realize you do, but you do, right? So you That's go true. in and so... In, in my brain simultaneously when, when this guy, you know, his name was Marvin. And I knew Marvin for years from another assignment, right? So mm -hmm. I knew him. I respected him as a guy. And I knew him before he was, you know, like a leader, right? Right. So when he said to me, I want, I, you're ready and I know you can do it. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> I totally <laughs> believed it. <laughs> That's so sick. Right. It's how it's one of those things that you talk about how the brain is like playing tricks on you completely all the time. Right. Oh, yeah. It's messing with you on so many levels. So half of my brain at hearing this news is screaming. No, Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be the boss. Right. And the other half is saying, oh, well, he said I could. So then I can. Right. Or, yes. <laughs> a lot of I've found that a lot of assuming leadership roles is trusting other leaders. Yes. When they give you advice and encouragement, like you say, well, you must have done some kind of something right at some point to be where you are. And I'm sure you've learned something. So right. Learned from that. But then it's also by the same token, realizing like, oh, Marvin's still <clears throat> just the guy. He's yeah. Like the he's just Marvin that, that I knew. I knew. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, totally. <clears throat> but I was also going to bring up that, um, so for that first year or so, I was doing you as CEO, doing the janitor and everything, right? Mm -hmm. I thought <clears throat> everything, every mistake is my fault, which it is, <laughs> you know, well, it is and it isn't, right? In the military, <clears throat> legally it is. When you're in charge, you're responsible for everything that your troops do, right? Mm -hmm. So, but at the same time, we're all human, right? So everybody knows that, you know. <clears throat> you're human and you can't do everything. So learn yeah. that that is a huge lesson for me that that letting go of micromanaging, right? That like yes. I have to do everything or else it won't be right. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. So yeah, good for you and guess what? It doesn't get easier. <laughs> no, I've, it I've heard a few people say it doesn't get easier but you get better. Correct. And I'm cool with that. Right. I think like if if you ever start thinking, oh, my God, we're going to go under because I did X, Y, Z and this guy screwed this up. It's like just look at every business that you deal with on a regular basis and how often they don't deliver. Dude. Right. Someone, I mean, nobody I just, ever is 100 percent. We're all human. I saw this <laughs> meme that said something like, um, you know, you you won't support your friend's cupcake shop one time you won't buy a cupcake because they didn't you know 
because of something you couldn't find parking or whatever your excuse is. But then Taco Bell can mess up your order 300 times over the course of 15 years and you're still like a loyal customer. (laughs) And it's true. Like we, we give a lot of things passes. I've bought bad groceries from a grocery store before. Like, of course. And I haven't never returned to the store. Right. It, we need to give ourselves that same grace. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Just, hey, we're all in it together. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is Room Vroom Veer. So that means that we uh, have to go back in the past and talk about how the hell you survived your childhood <laughs> for you, right? So we know um, if, if you're my friend, our mutual friend listening to this, go right now, hit pause, and go check out on YouTube or TedTalk.com, Johnny Crowder TED Talk, and it's amazing. Uh, listen to that so you'll get some context and background of who Johnny is. But you, obviously you know, had a pretty abusive childhood, started out with like self-harming as a toddler. I can't even believe that. That's just... Mm-hmm. Horrific, just saying it. Um, and then yeah. hallucinating in grade school and like you started formal mental health tra- uh, treatment in high school. And the yep. thing that struck me the worst, I think the most, I think I heard you say it on another podcast was, I never had a normal day. And I'll take yeah. exception with that. I would say your normal day was not normal to everyone else, but it was your That's normal. <laughs> that was That's your fair. normal. <clears throat> so talk about what like, what was life like under that sort of like scenario? Um, I, I always try to be real careful when I share about this stuff. So sure. I will purposely not talk about any specific instances. That's of fine. Abuse or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. That's but fine. Just so listeners have a sense of context of what it looked like for me. Right. Um, Perfect. I was definitely fearful to leave my bedroom. And I shared a room with my uh, little brother, actually. So my little solace was um, my bed, okay, which was a single bed that was kind of like my zone where I could like get under the covers and it's like your safety fort, yeah. So your fortress of safety, kid who would like um, get books and like read them in bed, or I would get um, I had an FM stereo where I would like okay. get it and listen to music. I had a cassette player and I would listen to music. So a lot of times it was like I would turn to art or writing or reading or painting or drawing or mm-hmm. listening to music or something as a... <clears throat> Just solitary sort of escaped. Yeah, like I, I don't like using the term escape, but I actually think it's fitting here. Like right. in many ways I wanted to experience something that wasn't my living situation. Totally. And art and creativity afforded me that um, kind a, of way to participate in something that wasn't limited to my... Because keep in mind, when you're a kid, you're, the world is very small. Like, you yes. don't understand that Vietnam is a country, right? <laughs> right. You don't know that yes. a beach on the other side of the state is even a beach. Because in your mind, there's only one. And it's you saw it on National Geographic or something. So, <laughs> That's the beach. So, That's the only one, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. the world is, like, very small. And I think um, art and music and books kind of opened up my mind to kind of imagine that the world was bigger 
and my both of my brothers were more like your all American like football throwing, beer drinking, truck driving. Like, right, they're men. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I was like playing guitar and uh, auditioning for plays and stuff, and I uh-huh. just didn't quite fit in. So it made it it made art all the more important to me because it was difficult for me to connect with my family. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I guess that's, again, like another form of coping, right? You were coping with Mm -hmm. a very, very, you know, abusive, stressful scenario. You know, I think normal people, you know, normal is a weird thing because I think everybody's, (laughs) I mean, you're, what I would say, and I don't want to take anything away from your experience because it's Mm -hmm. horrible, okay? Everybody, me included, went through, I mean, I think childhood Human childhood is traumatic. It's oh, yeah. just a it's just a matter of degree, right? I mean, I I know like can't really I might probably need therapy. Everybody I think might probably do some some therapy just yeah. to go fuck around with those things that you don't have any clue about. Um, but I remember as a kid, and this is like grade school kid, right? Like I was a sleepwalker, right, and a bedwetter. Right. I mean, everybody wets the bed a little bit, but I I took it to an extreme. I have no idea Mm -hmm. why. Right. (laughs) But I remember um, freaking my parents out. I think I I combined the two while I was still pretty young, like in grade school or maybe even before. I don't remember. But I I remember uh, sleepwalking and then opening up a drawer in my where I kept my underwear and then peeing on my underwear. Thinking in my head, in my head, I was going to the bathroom in the bathroom, right? And then my mom wow. came in and went, why are you peeing on your underwear? <laughs> and Jeez. yeah, yeah. And I freaked out. I was like, I didn't even know I was there, you know? Yeah. And that's traumatic for a little kid. It's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm not in bed right now. And I don't know why I'm being <laughs> right. in my so underwear many drawer, right? Right. I don't know what my underwear <clears throat> did to deserve this. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, you know, again, any therapist out there, help me unpack that. Please, you know, hit yeah, me up on Twitter. Emails from people saying, I know exactly what <clears throat> happened. Yes, all the Sigmund Freuds are coming up. You hated your mother and you wanted to kill your yeah. father. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So let's talk about what high school is like in general terms. I know you were already getting formal treatment, um, but you were also trying out for plays and stuff, right? And doing music. And so just talk a little bit about high school. High school was tricky because in middle school, at least I had my little core group of friends that I had gone to elementary and middle with. Okay. So I had some level of like community or belonging in that little like microcosm that I had created. Sure. And it was important for me to feel safe in that because I didn't feel safe in my house. Right. So having that little safe community outside of my house was really crucial to me, especially because it was... The um, safety in numbers thing, right? Well, yes. And also my schizophrenia was getting pretty bad around okay. like late um, middle school, early high school. And it was wow affecting my ability to like make eye contact or speak clearly. I was having a lot of difficulty communicating. So having my right. little core group, I was safe there. Okay. And then I you went could, to a you could safely you could safely communicate with these small the yeah. small group of friends and you knew then, that these people were real. 
and they were safe. <laughs> right? So then okay. I go to a magnet high school. Uh-oh. And none of my friends went. So it was like a comp- I was like ripped out of that small safety, safety yes. group that I had. And I was forced to make new friends, with, which looking back, I think was very healthy and important in my growth. It was really freaky. Um, but I wasn't excited about treatment. Like, keep in mind, I am during this period of my life, I am dreaming about ending my own life. Right. Like in right, my right. early, middle teenage <clears throat> years. And I had no interest in like being alive, much less making friends and pursuing hobbies or, you know, yeah, I, yeah, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't really developing um, a lust for life. Right. I was right, more right. just like annoyed and frustrated because at this point, so we talked a little bit about schizophrenia. Now, my OCD was getting to the point where. I couldn't step on cracks. I couldn't right. touch doorknobs. I couldn't sit near windows. I mean, the, the list of things that I wasn't able to do was getting so long that I felt just constantly inhibited and confined on a daily basis. So the idea of treatment, I just had no interest in it because I was like, these things that I do to keep myself safe in my eyes, mm-hmm. like I don't sit near a window <clears throat> So that if there's a sniper positioned at another window somewhere else with a yeah. his scope aimed at where I would sit, I'm protecting myself by not being near the window. So if you wow. want to treat me, you want to put me in harm's way. You Because a therapist might say, well, we'll make sure that you can sit near any window you want. And I say, you're going to put me in danger. Right. Like, you're not trying to help me. You're trying to hurt me. And then right. they said, well... Don't you want to step on cracks? I say never because there's tiny little blades in the cracks on the floor. And if I step on them, I'll cut my feet. And so you want me to cut my feet and be hurt by some gunman? So the world that I lived in wasn't the real world that other people lived in. Understood. So the idea of treatment sounded like someone saying, you know, all those things that are going to hurt you we're going to make sure that you experience them every day. So it was really tough to get me into treatment. Ouch. <clears throat> wow. That is, that's really tough. I mean, I, like the first thing I think of is like when I think about hallucination and schizophrenia, uh, everything in my life comes through movies. So I think of a beautiful mm-hmm. mind, right? So was it, was, uh, talk about like, have you ever seen the beautiful mind Russell Crowe movie? I have, but it was so long ago that I don't remember. Okay. So that is like, it was specifically designed to be trying to explain to an audience what it would be like to live with schizophrenia and Mm, seeing people. That's a tall order. It is a very tall order because half of the movie, you think all these people are real. Yep. Right. And then, and then something happens and you realize that they kind of take the veil away and you see reality from reality, right? <laughs> and it's completely different. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine what that's going... Like, you have to, like, check in with people. Did you have any sort of awareness that, like, some people are real and some people aren't? Did, did that ever enter into your mind at some point? I like that you're bringing this up because a lot of people have, like, a very... Um, unfortunately, they have, like, a very violent 
idea of what schizophrenia is like no, as if it's associated with like a psycho you know, killer or something yeah most I, like that. most people with schizophrenia don't end up being on the serial killer list oddly yeah. enough like that's like never happens almost it's like statistically yeah. schizophrenia was, is not like the psycho murder disease right yeah it was challenged to and it still is it's challenging to explain to people what schizophrenia felt like but the easiest way that i've i've found to describe my experience with it right was imagine um after anything happens not being a hundred percent sure if it happened but but forever so like imagine um yeah i mean even with mundane stuff you're like i know that i bought that printer and someone says you don't have a printer and you say yes i do it is at my house and i can go there and show you my printer and you get home and there's no printer Uh aha and you're like Okay, did someone take my printer or did I actually not buy the printer? I'm virtually positive I have a receipt somewhere. So it's not just Right. Wow. It's not just like, like people and it is yeah. every little mundane moment may or may not be real. So it's it's wow. less like for me it was less like a tsunami and more like a slow dri- almost like a waterboarding kind of situation mm. where it was like it wasn't the it wasn't right. the moments where I, I and I have had moments where I've hallucinated like wolves inside of my house and like very scary, dire things and emergencies. Mm-hmm. And those are very novel. But I've also had a lot of um, like micro interactions with people that I found out didn't exist. Mm. And those are that's those crazy. Are yes, yes. They're like, you're telling me that that's not even a person because I've had conversations with that person. Right. It was and imagine going through that while simultaneously like going through puberty and trying to yeah. go go on some dates for the first time and thinking about having to move out and go to college. And it was like just I never knew what was what. And it was the mm. confusion that was really difficult for me. Right. And then pile on top of that. Okay, yeah. So like if you think about like a normal – experience without mental health issues, which kind of doesn't exist, but let's say like, (laughs) (laughs) it really doesn't. I mean, like our normal baseline, what we call normal, isn't really all that healthy is what I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I'm saying that's not great, right? Everybody, that's a, that's a trial for everyone. But when you pile on these, uh, the abuse, you know, all the abuse Mm -hmm. and then the resultant, you know, OCD and the schizophrenia and I'm sure there's a lot of disassociation and you know all kinds of things on top of that and then you've already said you're suffering from just crushing depression now I I went through depression so like in my early 20s so I know what depression feels like a little bit I have a little personal experience with that I actually um never diagnosed okay so when mm-hmm. I was 18, I got a um, security clearance. And when you have a security clearance, um, well, at least in the late 80s, early 90s, right, if you went to talk, uh, talk to a psychiatrist or mental health professional, Ooh. you would lose your security clearance. And then you can't do your job. And wow, life gets like weird, right? So that, yeah, I mean, the stigma is in the military, yes, that's a real deal. Like you can't mm-hmm. like have access to national security information 
and be in mental health treatment at right. the same time. <laughs> but with, that makes sense, <laughs> right? I yeah. think we all agree that that's probably a good idea. <laughs> right? But um, at the same time, the people that need the help don't get the help because they're, they don't want to not do their job and they think they're going to get in trouble. Right. So yeah. I didn't go get help because I thought I would you know, lose my security clearance, get in trouble, get kicked out of the air force. So I just mm -hmm. went through all of these things basically by myself. Right. And you know, no treatment, not talking about it, just experiencing I'm probably, you know, everybody's different, right? So everybody's experience is the same. Well, not the same. It's everybody's experience is their own and then they deal with it. Right. So for me, yeah. it was like, I just remember just my brain being like looking at normal people and thinking, okay, I remember being there. I remember like having that face and thinking everything's all right and I want to get back, <laughs> but I have no clue how to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it, it, unfortunately for me, I had like one of those, um, rock bottoms where I, I had two suicide ex experiences attempts. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to take uh, sleeping pills and I actually got uh, no dose instead of sleeping pills. Mm. So that didn't work out, but I, I definitely probably wasn't going to die. I, I was just really had a bad night of sleep. Um, and then the other one was I mixed some rat poison into some ice cream and, and I lived. But let me tell you, the following day I got up and went to work after wow. shitting out... <laughs> rat poison <laughs> and that was what i call like one of those the shittiest experiences in your life that'll make you think right yeah. so it's like anything that comes work related it just turned the volume down on bullshit right like mm. oh this inspection at work is coming are you excited about that no but okay let's let's the volume is now less, right? So because of that rock bottom experience, I think I, I started turning a corner to thinking, okay, I think maybe I can deal with this now because yeah. I, did, I didn't die. <laughs> I wasn't, it took years, okay? It took years for me to actually get better. That was just a moment, just like you say, you know? <laughs> Thankfully, I had a moment and I didn't die. Man. Right? That's scary stuff. It is. Life is scary. <laughs> you had some really scary stuff too. So I want to mm -hmm. get into, um, so you graduate high school. Did you ever have like a, a normal job or did you, did you just do gigging and music or what did you do after high school? So I was in high school. I was like painting speed bumps and picking up litter on the side of the road for a property management company. And then I would work okay. at a fireworks stand okay. around July 4th and gotcha. New Year's and stuff. You were odd jobbing? Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Lots of that. Um, All right. Craigslist stuff and raking leaves and, you know, just doing whatever I could to get some kind of money coming right. in. Okay. And um, I... Nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's actually kind yeah. of refreshing if you've ever... <laughs> yeah. If you've ever it had was... like a daily grind job, but that is, oh, yeah. is a nice change. And then after that, I was going to, um, like I worked in a, I did a lot of random jobs because I was touring too. So I was in a okay. band and gotcha. we were leaving. So it was really difficult for me to get a nor quote normal job. Gotcha. So I was doing like, I worked at a, um, 
an appliance warehouse. So I was like cleaning and repairing like washers and dryers and refrigerators and like, oh, wow. it was, okay. like manual warehouse labor. Gotcha. And I worked there for like a year and a half. And then I worked at Chipotle for like a year and a half. Chipotle and seems like an interesting place to work, at least a, an interesting vibe. <laughs> I, it actually helped me with my communication skills because I had to be on the line right, and talk to a bunch of random people every day. So it helped me with like making eye contact and, right. um, you know, pronouncing words correctly and having conversations <laughs> oh, wow. with people. So sure. Um, and it, I, it I was, it's, of, it's very easy too because it's like the same conversation a million times or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And I, I think at the time I was also doing a ton of writing and editing like gig work. So okay. that's been a majority of my um, writing quote, and editing. professional career has been so copywriting like, okay. and copy editing. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Thanks. And then like, so I did a bunch of web copy projects. I, I wrote, ghost wrote and edited some books. Wow. And um, did a lot. I was really like a, a writer and editor. It just felt right to me. Okay. Still does. And um, then I got a job doing a, actually doing, being a full-time like salaried copywriter and copy editor at mm. a marketing agency. But the salary was <clears throat> literally less than $30,000, which you couldn't even live on. No. Right. I mean, it was so low. So I was still doing freelancing. And then I got another job at another ad agency doing copywriting and copy editing. Again, salary was so low that it was difficult to live on. So I was doing... Um, Side hustle stuff. Yeah. And it, it, I've worked so much. I'm I'm 29 years old and I feel like I've worked for like, I, I feel like I've worked for all 29 years. Right. Even though right. I know I haven't. It right. Just, it was so much. I haven't had like a normal 40 hour a week type of job mm. ever, I guess, because right. there's always been gig work or touring or some kind of add on. But I, I do sometimes when I'm kind of daydreaming, I'm like, what would my life be like if I just had like a normal 40 hour week job that paid me enough to survive? Like, <laughs> what what would I even do? Uh, yeah. 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 So basically yeah. you dream about every, the thing that everybody has that nobody wants. That's, <laughs> and then yeah, and everybody dreams about being a rock star and a tech <clears throat> CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, man, I'd, I'd dream about being you like <laughs> exactly computer at 5 PM and having health insurance through my employer and getting paid holidays. <clears throat> That's what I wonder about. You know? That's gotta be a named phenomenon right there that, that well, yeah, it is. It's a cliche. It's the grass is always greener. Whatever you haven't done, you, you sort of envy. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I'm, it's more of a curiosity. Like I'm super grateful for what I get to do now. Yeah. But I'm more like when I have buddies who will like, um, you know, they get engaged or they're getting married or they're having a kid or they're um, buying a house or something. And I'm like, I'm putting together my tour schedule for spring. Right. And you're like fixing a sink on a house that you'll pay mortgage on. Like, <laughs> what is that like? Uh, I'm, I'm curious about like those quote normal tasks that my friends go through, just like they're curious about tour or running a company or anything. It's, it's right. more like a mutual respect for the work it takes to fill any role, you know, yeah. even being a good husband, for example, right. My friends who are married, I ask them like, how do you do that? Like, I want to be yeah. ready for when that time comes. And yeah, I, yeah. You're going through it now. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been married 28 going on 29 years. 
Wow. The first three or four years, I didn't, I wasn't sure we were going to make it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. First year was just crazy because yeah. you're, you're becoming another person. You really That's literally wild. are becoming another person. So if you ever do it, yeah, uh, be ready because it's not, <laughs> you should not be going into that. It's just like having a kid. It's pro- having a kid is, yeah. it's more of a big deal. I, I think one of my things is I take things way too seriously, way too mm. often. Um, but I took marriage seriously and I'm glad I did because a lot of people I think go in, especially nowadays, it seems like even more. Like they get, they get all enamored with the romance and the movie version of the wedding and they don't really think about what you're doing. Right. It's like, and then after the wedding's over, they're like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, like, did I just seriously make a lifelong commitment? I thought it was a party. (laughs) It was a party. Yeah. What you should do is just like do a wedding and then not get married. (laughs) Yeah. That's a brilliant. That's a brilliant way to spend tens of thousands of dollars. Right, or just not get married and just live together for a long time and see if you really, you know, if it yeah. if it's worth it, you know, if it's going to work out, you know, if you can stick with somebody for five years, and and so like play married, you know, be mm. married in every in every way except for the piece of paper, and that works. You're probably okay. But you should be definitely talking about like, do you want to have kids for real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about like that sticky note moment. When did you start doing that sort of like one of your coping strategies you talked about in your TED talk, which mm. you just started like memento style. You started like uh, put giving yourself sticky notes all over your world, reminding yeah. you um, to be happy, right? <laughs> Something like that. So talk about was- that. It's like so the super really super superhero origin story of cope notes. I um so I went to school for psychology is ah, the part too. that we're we're leaving out. Okay. Um but it's not I mean all I did in college was really study and play concerts. So Okay. Um I when I finished my psych degree I still wanted to keep learning and I was like doing a lot of volunteer work in the mental health field. So I was oh, wow. always around people who would like, I mean, literally have spare psychology textbooks. And That's stuff. awesome. And like, Hey, you know, we have an extra one or this is from a course that I finished or whatever. Right. So I would just kind of accumulate all of this psychology stuff. And I was always, you know, watching Ted talks and lectures and reading books and stuff. And I had read um, that, if you can, so I was reading about neuroplasticity, yes, basically, okay. and how important it is to challenge automatic negative thought. And um, so what I started doing is leaving sticky notes all around my house that would provide a challenge to a negative thought. Like it would basically ask, these sticky notes would kind of identify a negative thought that I would have commonly, like about finances or about my body or relationships or my career, any anything that I knew was like a sore point for me, like a pain point. Yeah. I would put these sticky notes with things that I wrote on them that would kind of reframe that thought. Okay. Kind of identify how you're feeling about your body right now and then flip it, you know, like imagine the opposite thought. Um, Perfect. So for example, one, one thing that I, used to be really self-conscious about is I've broken my nose a number of times and I used to think it was so 
bulbous and crooked and ugly and um, okay. most people i'm sure if they looked at me they'd be like that's just a nose but to me <laughs> i know that you it's see been it broken yes and okay. so a reframe might be like from oh my nose is so crooked and everybody knows that i broke it and then if they look i i'm covered in tattoos so they might think like oh he probably got in a fight because he's maybe he's not a good person and right. i would like run down this dialogue with myself about how people didn't like me because of how i looked and then um a sticky note might say like um imagine how your nose might be a conversation starter with someone and they might be curious like hey you know what happened you're like oh man well i was in tour in new york this was years ago and you it might actually lead to a connection or another way to reframe it is maybe no one gives a crap about what your nose is shaped like. <laughs> so I would like yes. keep trying to reframe <clears throat> these negative thoughts. And those sticky notes um, were all around my house. So if I was like cooking, I would see one. If I was putting on my shoes, I would see one. I, mm. I kind of tried to like guerrilla warfare my way into challenging those thought patterns. That's amazing. So like uh, my version of sticky notes is my wife. <laughs> That's a more. That's a lot more expensive than sticky notes. <laughs> so, are, are you familiar with uh, the old movies uh, with Peter Sellers and the Pink Panther? That's super old. You probably yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you do. Oh, yeah. Do you ever you ever remember when he would like suddenly out of the blue and he's walking around get attacked by Cato? No, I don't remember that. So Cato is. So we're talking about Inspector Clouseau. Right. And he's yeah. this frame famous French detective, whatever. Right. There's a bunch of movies. Peter Sellers plays him and the character hires Cato as his sort of like uh, valet manservant, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But he also is a martial arts expert and has hired to sneak attack the inspector on a regular basis. <laughs> and then they have a fight and the phone rings and Cato picks it up. Right. And they, and they, you know, so Cato is always keeping him on his toes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> By so attacking exactly him physically. <laughs> yeah. Not really. No, you, you were just like, so your Cato is like the the good version of Cato, right? It's like mm -hmm. it's like I'm gonna get attacked by something positive, like a positive reframe. Yeah. So like my wife is my Cato, right? So because of mm -hmm. her and her nature, you know, everybody's got pet peeves, right? And she ticks all of my buttons, all of my buttons, right? And mm -hmm. you know, like just the other day, I couldn't find the um, the chick. What was it? It was karage powder because I was going to make myself some Japanese chicken karage out of chicken wings. And we, we decided it was going to go here, right? And I went there and I was like, damn it, <laughs> where did you put the karage powder? <laughs> and, you know, I looked and I couldn't find it. And I was like, Kato, right? But that's just a small, stupid example of how my wife is, you know, helping me find inner peace through mm. her just being her, right? So that was my reframe. It was like, yes, I could continue to be mad at my wife or just laugh yeah. about it. <laughs> anyway, okay, so so how does like, I know you talked about habituation. So eventually you stop seeing those those stickies, right? So what do, what do you do about that habituation kind of situation? Well, I had just 
realized that I stopped seeing them because sometimes <laughs> someone else would talk about like, what is that sticky note about? And I'm like, oh shoot, I've seen it so many times that I forgot it was there. Right. Yes. It, Which like, happens. Yeah. That's a natural and brain function. So I tried setting random reminders <clears throat> in my phone and random alarms and stuff, but it's really just like, it's hard to tickle yourself. It's really hard to surprise yourself. Right. That's why you need Kato. <laughs> yeah. So, so I wanted to, I was trying to think of how I could build a system that could surprise me. Right. And potentially other people if anyone needed something like that. So I was trying to think like, you know, what's a way that you can, and you have permission to interrupt somebody, right? Ah, you right. can't, I mean, they're, you're pretty limited. Um, right. And so I arrived at like, if I could put together a random text schedule, Mm. that where text could different texts could come in at random times and kind of surprise people that maybe that would help and the the original idea was very rudimentary like right now no two people ever get the same text at the same time so it's like right. everyone has their own unique text sequence it's like nothing i've ever seen before um but originally I, I'm not even joking. I would like type a message out in my phone and then send it to 32 contacts in like a group text. And that was like the that best was, idea. But that's that I that's had awesome though. At the time. You know what though? It did it yeah. work. I mean, I mean let me ask, did did that work? What was the uh the response to the 32 the same text to 32 people? What was Yeah, so I realized that there was actually a greater effect when it was individual. So I would just open a text thread, paste, send to one person, open a text, send to one person, open a text, send. So it felt more personal. Gotcha. And I was getting responses from people who I talk a little bit about it in the TED Talk, but they were saying like, how did you know? Right. This is exactly what I'm going through. The text came in at the perfect time. And I'm like, <clears throat> holy crap, I don't know anything about what you're going through. <laughs> like we haven't talked right. in right. three weeks. I right. don't know what you're facing, but right. it kind of made me realize like, oh shoot, this is the neuroplasticity thing. This is the interrupting negative thought patterns thing that I was reading about. Right. But it's so much easier for me to do it for somebody else than it is for them to do it for themselves. So that was like the early stages of thinking like, how do I do this as cheaply as possible? Because I didn't want to make a business. I had no desire to like start a company or anything like that. I just wanted right. this to work right. so that I could do it for myself and other people without me having to put a bunch of money into it because I wasn't even getting paid enough to live at the time. <laughs> but what, what <clears throat> hallmarks of a good business is like when you do a thing and it's simple and it's you know, mm. relatively cheap or free and people respond. So yeah. did I, I, it seems like pe those people that you were texting, that seems like what I would say a really good validation for an idea. Yeah. Now, turning it into a business is a whole other thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I definitely Ideas didn't. are like free and abundant. Execution mm -hmm. is the key, right? Yeah. I, ne I never saw it turning into what it is today. And if, right. if someone's listening and is curious... If you just go to copenotes.com, you can read more about it. But we literally were serving like over 20-something thousand people wow. in 94 countries. Holy cow. We've, we've sent over a million text messages. And like just wow. go back to when I'm like typing a text out <laughs> from a sticky note that I wrote by hand. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm just writing what I wrote in the sticky note and, and texting it out to a few random friends to see if they like it. To see where it is today is just kind of mind-blowing. Right. And it's probably paying some bills, so that's good. <laughs> oh, man. The hard part, we, we need to have a whole separate talk about how financially complicated it is to run a business and hire employees. Because at the right. time, I'm not even joking, when I started Cope Notes, I was like, you know, if, if the company makes 40 grand a year, then I could probably afford my own place in Tampa and be able to pay for my own groceries and health insurance. Right. And, car and everything and maybe even have a couple thousand dollars left over to put into savings when all is said and done. Sure. Tampa is a pretty, pretty expensive market to live right, in. Right, right, right. Uh, and then I didn't realize that like your business has bills and costs of its own. So yeah, I was like, all we need is 40 grand in revenue. And then at the end of like our first and second year, I was doing the math and I'm like, holy crap, so much of all the money that we make goes to paying to run the company. Right. <laughs> so much in revenue. Yeah. Rude awakening. <clears throat> but that's okay. At, you know, I think your mind was in the right place, right? You're oh, yeah. like, I, I'm trying to figure out what I need to live on, right? And mm-hmm. that that is is like a huge thing. It's a completely different question. <laughs> it's the wrong oh, yeah. it's the, you're solving the wrong problem that was the thing that you did yeah yeah, yeah. I, I actually right. didn't even plan on quitting my agency job like i wanted right. to stay and yeah. become a creative director because i was like man i have a better chance of working my way up to forty thousand dollars a year through the company that i already work at right than trying to start my own company and hope hope that the revenue gets high enough so i only actually quit my agency job to start Cope Notes when the I was volunteering my time at Cope Notes and actually I only added myself to payroll a few months ago. Wow. Okay. And I've run the company for like four years. So it's been <laughs> for free. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's been really challenging on a personal financial level. But right. at the time I was working like 50 hours a week at the agency. I was volunteering roughly like 30 hours a week um, on Cope Notes and just falling apart because we're touring my band is touring full-time during the season too so i'm wow. like working remotely and then right, right. filming music videos and putting out records and going on tour and i'm just right, like right. at some point you're living on a bus you're living in a hotels you're staying I up way to, too no, late not even <laughs> not even okay buses and hotels are for i mean rich that bands expensive okay so you're so just driving we around a, we were in a 15 passenger van wow living in it like sleeping in it every night oh working. my goodness 80 hours a week and I was just like kind of exploding. So <clears throat> sure. I only quit my agency job to run Cope Notes full time when we had a chance to contract with the school district. And they said they had some type of clause that they can't um, work with a business that doesn't have a full time CEO. Oh, right. Something. And I was right, like, oh, right. I kind of can't be full time because I don't have any freaking money. Uh-huh. And then I just was like, this is too great of an opportunity. And I'm going to quit my agency job and pray that this was the right decision. And I thought like in a month or two, I'll probably make enough to cover my salary or whatever. And little did I know I wouldn't pay myself for the next like three and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad nobody told me that because I never would have quit my yeah. agency job. I see. There you go. Hey, this has been amazing. I, I, I don't want you to miss your hard quit here. So uh, as we wrap up, talk a little bit about how people can best get in touch with Johnny Crowder at copenotes.com. Yeah. So 
CopeNotes.com is your best bet. That's like Roger. your one-stop shop. You'll right. learn all about us and what we do. And um, also, I have a website, so it's JohnnyCrowder.com. So okay. that has more information about like speaking stuff. I do a lot of public speaking now. Okay. Um, and then if you're a social media person, I am on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn. And then I am on Instagram at Johnny Crowder Loves You because I do. Aw. <laughs> Johnny, this has been a blast. Thank you for hanging out with me for about an hour. I appreciate it. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Have a good one. Yes, sir. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-E-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.